Warning, this podcast should not be downloaded using government equipment, listened to during duty time, or sent to others using government equipment, because this podcast has the potential to suggest actions to be taken in support or against legislation. Do not use your government email address or government phone in contacting your lawmakers. Hello, and welcome to the AFGE Young Podcast. My name is Miranda Coelho, and I am your host today. Today, I am joined by Robin Nichols, National Women's Advisory Coordinator for District 7, and Bernie Burnham, Minnesota State AFL-CIO President, and today we'll be discussing women in labor. To get started, how is everyone? I'm doing well today. How are you, Miranda? It's a nice day out today. Good. It's a beautiful day. The sun is shining. These ice and snow is melting, so it is. Yesterday's good. downpour was terrible, and all that ice. Actually, that was Saturday. Well, it's snowing again here. Just again, <laughs> so we have snow again. We had 64 on Saturday, and we have snow now today. So Michigan is, you know, pure Michigan. Nice. <laughs> well, not much for Minnesota for sure. <laughs> kind of uh, variance on an hourly level sometimes, right? Right. Right. Okay, so. Can you tell us a little bit about you and what you have done or are doing within the labor movement? Uh, Robin, we can start with you. Okay, well, um, hello, my name is Robin Nichols. I am from Michigan and I work for the Department of Defense. I've been an employee for 34 years. I'm the local president of AFG Local 1626. Um, As Miranda said, I'm the National Women's Advisory Coordinator for our District 7, and I also serve as the chair for the Human Rights Committee. Um, I've been a member of AFGE for 20 plus years, and I've been actually in leadership positions for a little over 16 years. Started out as chief steward, um, then I became our local president. I've also been involved involved with our uh, council, DLA council, which is Defense Logistics Agency, and I was the executive vice president for three years. And now I focus more just on my local as well as on our district, which covers Michigan, Illinois, and Wisconsin. Um, I got involved in the labor movement because um, I just saw a need where um, really women were not that much involved in labor. And I thought that I could have a stronger voice at the table um, instead of sitting at my desk. Nice. Thank you for sharing. Uh, Bernie, could you uh, tell us as well why you uh, joined the labor movement and kind of your background history? Sure, I'd be happy to do that. So as Miranda said, I'm Bernie Burnham. Uh, My um, actual background is is that of a classroom teacher. I was an elementary classroom teacher for about 15 years. Um, Through that work, I became involved in the labor movement, first as a union steward, uh, standing up for my fellow educators. And I like to say also standing up for children because that was one of my passions. So I began to see the things that needed to be changed in our schools and, and in our school districts. Um, I'm from Duluth, Minnesota originally, so did that for a number of years, then became the president on the Duluth Federation of Teachers um, Executive Board, Local 692. Um, through that work, worked a lot with labor in our city, uh, knowing that they would be helpful and that we could help each other um, elect folks who were supportive of labor, um, our labor community actually helped us uh, turn over a school board uh, when that was necessary, helped us pass a couple of referendums. As you know, in education, we're always fighting for more money, like the rest of the world, unfortunately. 
Uh, the people that have the money don't want to often give it up for, for folks who really need it. So um, those were things I did and uh, through that work as the uh, Duluth Federation of Teachers President became more involved with Education Minnesota, which is our statewide union of 70,000 members. Um, so uh, did that work for about two and a half years and, and loved it all the way. Um, again, fighting for children and my colleagues and speaking up for, for those whose voices weren't heard. Um, then got tapped on the shoulder to actually run for this position of the Minnesota AFL-CIO president. And that's where I am today. So again, uh, labor is important to me because I think it is, you know, we are the one uniting voice um, that is there for all working people and for uh, children and communities, frankly. Um, as we know, uh, unions started because they wanted to help people and they wanted to raise people up and give them better uh, lives and uh, we certainly have come a long way, but we certainly have lots more work to do. That's awesome. Well, I can say I'm very happy to be here with you two today um, and to be able to learn from you a little bit more on women in labor and to have this conversation and kind of see how this goes. Um, so with that, I would like to ask both of you uh, who your favorite woman in labor is and why. Bernie, did you want to start? Let me yes. go first this one? Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, I can tell you, you know, Randy Weingarten, she is the president of the uh, American Federation of Teachers, and she actually, um, I think, just energizes me. And she um, is, you know, part of the AFL-CIO movement as well, um, was an educator herself, uh, and just uh, leads a, a strong union of nationwide educators, um, speaks up for... Uh, things that are not going great uh, as part of the women's movement. And I just, uh, she is a real uh, go-getter and I love to listen to her speak. She's passionate about what she believes in and really lets people know that educators aren't going to sit back and, and take a backseat to anything and that her voice needs to be heard. So she, uh, from the time I, I first saw her, to today, I am just in awe of the work that she does and her endless energy and, um, I hope that I can emulate some of what she does. I, I think she's amazing. I think education is so important and our teachers, um, they have a very hard job to do as well. So it's always important. Yeah. Um, Robin, would you like to let us tell us kind of who your favorite woman in the labor movement is and why? Well, my favorite, favorite woman in the labor movement, um, of course, is now passed on. But Miss Augusta Y. Thomas was, she, she was and probably still is my very favorite. I remember when I first met her um, so many years ago, never having an idea knowing that I would be working under her um, as a coordinator for uh, a few years. Um, I just, I watched her a lot at the conferences and I really admired um, seeing, you know, here as a senior lady, however, um, she was just so feisty and um, so knowledgeable. And then to hear her whole history of everything that she went through, um, she lived so much of it. So then being able to fight um, for those same inequalities that she lived through, I thought it was just so amazing. And just watching her, she was so personable. Um, you know, we loved her. You know, I, I always called her Mother Augusta um, because she was a motherly figure as well. Um, but she was just so, um, just so committed to the movement. And I don't think I've ever seen anyone as committed 
Um, and especially, as I said, you know, with her being a senior woman, she could have, you know, said, you know, I've lived my life and I've done so much over the years, you know, in her career and everything. And she could have just stopped. But up until the day that she passed on, she was still in the labor movement. Um, and I just take a lot of um, I take a lot of pride in, in being able to emulate some of the work that she's doing, knowing that I probably would never be as great as she was. But I'm going to do my best to try to um, do some of the things that she did. And I love her theme where, you know, she she sat so we could stand. And I always think about that. And it's something that I even teach my granddaughter. So I would have to say that Miss Augusta Y. Thomas is my favorite uh, woman in the labor movement. Yes, I never actually got a chance to meet Augusta because uh, I believe I came into the Young Committee towards the end before she had passed. Uh, but I do know that she is widely recognized within AFGE and that she paved the way for quite a few different things. Um, so that that's awesome. I would I would definitely say she's a role model as well. Yeah. Um, okay, so to go into the next one, what do you feel are the needed traits to be a positive person of change and to bring transformation within the labor labor movement? And Robin, we'll start with you this time. <laughs> okay, um, I think some of the positive traits that you need um, are, for one, being positive. I, I found that uh, the more positive I am when I go to the table to negotiate or even work with management on different issues, I give them res the same respect that I expect them to give me. Um, when I walk into the room, I don't, you know, demand respect, but, you know, it's a way to command respect because of the way you carry yourself. So I'm uh, really um, careful on how I do carry myself in the boardroom and outside the boardroom, um, even in the hallways at work, you know, always making sure that people see you as a person that they can respect and that they can look up to and admire. Um, I think it does take um, quite a bit of tenacity. Um, it also takes um, willpower and it takes, I, I believe, um, a servant's heart because overall, you know, we, we really are serving the people, you know, even as leaders, it's not about, you know, people serving us, but us serving them. And if you take pride in that, um, I think that that is a good good attribute to carry, and I, it just really makes a big difference when you're working in the labor movement. I think that if we all could kind of take that stand, um, it would make a lot of difference in how people even see us in the labor movement. I think sometimes when sometimes you come at you know kind of hard nosed, mm -hmm. people don't take you serious, or they you know think that um, you're coming at them the wrong way, so you don't always get the end results that you want. So as I said, I, you know, try to, I come with respect um, and I expect re respect in return. And I've just learned to treat people the way that I want to be treated. And it seems like it's always been successful. And I think that that will really help the labor movement as well. If we can all kind of um, gear kind of towards that, um, be hard nosed when we need to, but then also make sure that we are respecting others so that they can respect us and take us serious. I love that you highlighted the respect. Um, that is something that I'm really big on as well within my role as a steward. And when I, and even as a third VP, when I go into meetings with management or even um, when I'm meeting with other employees, I, I think that mm -hmm. being able to have that foundation and that collaboration with managers, um, it's, it's a, a lot more effective. Um, if you go in there, mm -hmm divisive and with the attitude of just fully being in power and wanting everything, um, it doesn't always work. And so I think the building relationships 
is important. And it's the same with employees as well. When you're helping helping the bargaining unit members, um, it's better to just kind of come to their their level and meet them where they're at. I think you're a lot more effective in helping them and building them relationships as well. We, we all have a story and we all, you know, have difficulties and it's, it's really how we get through them. So right. I agree with that. Bernie, what would you say um, are the needed traits to be a positive person of change and to bring transformation in the labor movement? Well, you both have raised, you know, a number of the things already. Respect is very important. I think being positive is really important. Um, one of the things that I like to, you know, especially now in my role, I've been in it just a little over a month. I think listening is key to being able to earn someone's respect as well. Um, I don't know everything. I'm, you know, my background's education. So I have a lot to learn across the spectrum of all of the labor movement. And I'm willing to listen and, and hear what people have to say, what their needs are, and how do we make that all come together. Um, you know, as a, a classroom teacher, like you said, one of the things you have to do is meet people where they're at. Um, we don't know people's stories and we don't know what they come into the room with every day. So that's really important to try to build that relationship and build some trust and be honest with them and open. Um, there's lots of times when, when I've listened to people in the past in my role as a, as a union leader where I couldn't always solve the problem right away, but I certainly could listen and get back to people and, you know, work on that, see how I could help them in that manner. Um, I never make promises I can't keep. I will never do that. It's something I learned early from actually uh, my sixth grade teacher who I worked with, as I said earlier. Um, he always said to me, Bernie, don't ever say anything to your class that you can't hang on to or, or uphold, you know, <laughs> but don't make false threats. Don't make false promises. I won't do that. Uh, you know, we as individuals only have so much uh, control and, and power. And I don't know if I like to use the power word so much either. I, I think it's more about a mutual respect. And and you're right, Robin. Um, when I first became a, a union leader in Duluth, you know, people expected me to be like the, the past leader who, you know, was often a table pounder or raised his voice or that kind of thing. I don't do that. That's not who I am. And I don't intend to lead like that or learn like that. So. I think all of those things, respect, being positive, listening, uh, meeting people where they're at, those are all really important things. And I think they get you a lot farther than going in and demanding and, you know, not sitting down for a conversation. Um, listening is key to everything we do. You know, it, it's about understanding one another. And I think if you give people that option, they're going to give you the same. I agree with that. Um, listening is a very, very strong quality to have, and it's important as well. And I think sometimes when you actually actively listen to someone, I think that's the key right there too. You can learn to understand them and kind of where they're coming from as well, and some of their thought process, thought processes, and things like that too. So, I, I definitely think that's important. Um, okay, so Bernie, the next one is for you. Um, what are the key differentiating factors for women in labor and are the previous factors embraced or should they be overcome and how? Well, I think obviously, you know, history um, would say that labor was mostly run by men, uh, white men for many years. And I think along, along the way, as different events have happened, women have come in to uh, be strong uh, role models and players in the labor movement. So what's different? It's interesting uh, walking into a room full of men and 
you know, trying to uh, have a conversation with them. And you're wondering, I don't know about you, Robin, but I'm always wondering, are they really listening? Do they really think I'm the leader? I mean, those are those yeah. things that I ask in my head, but I, I feel like so far I've been pretty lucky. Um, so there's always been a mindset, you know, that, that, well, for many years before the women's movement, that the men were the more powerful. Um, but I think that uh, oftentimes we have found that women are calmer leaders and um, and don't get me wrong I'm not saying you know that all men um, have not been good leaders because obviously there's been people before us who've done good work but I think that for us there's another step because people don't often see us um, as someone who could lead an organization however we have proven them uh, you know wrong over and over again and um, but now you know it's about working in coalition and really trying to gain that mutual respect um, you know, and I think that we have shown a different way to lead. I just uh, think that's been key to the way we do things. Um, what else? Are the previous factors embraced or should they be overcome? And how? I think if they're in some spaces, they still are. But I think that's our job. I think that's part of our job is to make that change and to show that we can work together and that we can lead together. Um, so I think those are some of the things that I'm seeing. And, I, you know, uh, really truly being new to the AFL-CIO uh, movement. I, like I said, was in education for many years and um, was fortunate enough to, to get to this table and get to know people and now be a part of it. Um, so I think there's plenty of room um, for change and embracing what's happening now and leading forward. That's great. Uh, Robin, and what would you, uh... What do you think are the key differentiating factors for women in labor? And do you think the previous factors are embraced or should they be overcome and how? Well, I think Bernie um, really hit a lot of it right on the head. Um, the labor movement, of course, had, was led by men for so many years. Um, even if it was an organization where it was, you know, maybe predominantly more women, um, that were in the actual bargaining unit or something, men still led the way. Um, I even look at AFGE, you know, now looking at our NEC and our NEC is made up again of predominantly all men. Um, and, and it is a little disappointing to be very honest with you um, because I feel that, you know, we as women have so much more to offer. Um, I feel that um, me, myself, um, I think Bernie kind of hit on this as well, when you are walking into a room, you know, and even like when I'm going into a room with management officials, you know, the majority of them are all men sitting at the table. And not only are they all men, you know, but they're white men too. So normally, you know, most times I'm one of the only females that's sitting there and then I'm, you know, one of the only black people as well. So I sometimes, you know, I used to look at it and say, you know, well, oh, that's a double whammy. So now I look at it as, you know, that's a double positive for me because I feel that I have a voice that other people don't have, you know, bringing into the table. Um, I think that women in the labor movement um, are underestimated. I really do. I think that we have a lot to offer. Um, I think that we do, you know, again, as Bernie said, I think that we address things and attack things differently, probably because we're natural nurturers. Um, you know, just from nature, we're, we're just nurturing people, we're nurturing creatures. And so with that being said, I think that we approach things a lot differently. And I can honestly say that, you know, from some of my predecessors, because um, we haven't had very many female presidents at our local, um, but from a lot of my predecessors, I've heard from management 
um, that have been there, you know, for numerous years um, and employees that have said that, you know, our local is ran differently now than it was in the past. I can remember myself um, being a union member when I first started in 1989 and then dropping my membership because I didn't like the way um, that the men were leading um, our local. And then I said, you know, if I want to make a change, I've got to get back into my membership and I have to get in there and I have to, you know, get into office or something and make a change. So I think that women, um, we just, we come differently. We come differently. I think we have so much more to offer. And I'm just really hoping that, you know, the past way that the labor movement was done, where women were kind of put off to the side, um, that that changes. I think that we are getting more out in front. You know, I'm happy to hear that, you know, Bernie is in a leading role, you know, with the AFL-CIO now. And I think that that's probably um, maybe a first, you know, um, probably not a lot of women, if any women have held that position, have done that. And so that is very promising to myself that, you know, younger women coming up behind her are going to be able to see her in that position. And, you know, to like she said, you know, I, I was just, I was a school teacher and that's many, many roles that women took on. That's what we were. We were school teachers, nurses. When now you see women are, you know, heading up the board rooms. Um, our vice president is a female. Um, you know, I, I look at even the head of the AFL-CIO, we now have a female, you know, for the first time ever. And that is just so um, encouraging to me. And I feel that we are, the labor movement is making a turn. And I believe that women are, we're going to make her story. We are really going to make some changes in the labor movement. And I, th I don't think that we've even seen, I think we've just seen like a little touch of that. And I think that there's going to be great things that are going to happen in the labor movement moving forward. Thank you. I agree with that. Uh, women are definitely rising up to the occasion. Um, okay, so Robin, we're going to start with you. Uh, in your journey, what has been your most transformational experience as a woman in labor? Well, I think I touched on it a little bit um, mm -hmm. just yeah. you know a minute ago. Um, being a woman in the labor movement, um, I was so used to just seeing all you know men, as I said, in leadership. I think one of the most transform transformational moments for me was when I served on our um, executive council, you know, for uh, DLA, and we had mainly all you know all men in leadership, and so I served as you know the second highest person in office. And being the executive vice president, you know, many times the other officers, you know, looked to me. Um, and, and even not being in that position, they still look to me. So I, I would think that I made some type of an impact because I'm still being contacted, even though I'm not in that position. But I think that one of the things that really made a difference for me is that I had to make sure that I was being taken serious. And as I began to, I think, correspond and communicate with people, especially men, on a daily, more daily basis, um, I had to have a stronger voice. I couldn't always go in, you know, because I, I knew me. I knew my personality. I could go in very strong and and I could become um, not really a hard nose, but I guess I would be a hard nose where I could be maybe offensive or I could go in, you know, and I could be really meek and maybe I wouldn't get any changes. So I had to come into the middle and I had to really find who was I, who was I going to be in this movement to be able to make an impact and make a difference. So I didn't want to be so far on the right side that I was then, you know, not getting what I needed, but then I didn't want to be so far on the left side that I was being taken advantage of. So I just kind of um, 
looked overall, who am I? Um, what can I do? How can I approach things differently? And it's made a big difference. And not only did it do it in the labor movement, but it's made a difference for me professionally as well as personally. So I think that um, that's one of the things that really was transformative. Thank for you me. for sharing that. Uh, Bernie, what would you say was your most transformational experience as a woman in labor? Oh, before I answer that, what I want to I want to go back to what Robin said. One of the things you said was you walked away, but then you came back because you realized without being there, you couldn't have make any change. I think that's right. one of the things today that I try to. Those are the conversations I have with people when they say they want to quit. You know, if you quit, how does your point get brought forward? You know, how how do you try to make change if you're not there at the table? So I appreciate that you said that. Yes. Thanks for that. I wish everybody would hear that and listen. Thank you to for it. highlighting that. So I think as well. Uh, <laughs> well, that, that's so important. I think today people just want to take the easy route and, and we've become kind of a self-serving uh, society. And until we realize that we're better and stronger together, um, and I think we're getting there. I see movement. I mean, we obviously have more unions being formed um, every day, especially in this time coming through the pandemic and all of the um, hard, hard things people have been through. So anyway, that's a byline. Um, I appreciate that you raised it. I will want to scream that from the mountaintop some days. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I would say, you know, my most transformational experience, I mean, first and foremost, when I got elected to be the president of the Duluth Federation of Teachers, which had been a strongly uh, male-oriented uh, leadership team for a long, a long time. I mean, there were a few women on the board when I came along, but being a woman of color, um, someone who wasn't a traditional student, someone who really was a mom first and then decided to become a teacher and then join the labor movement. Um, and again, getting teachers to understand that they're part of the labor movement is another whole conversation, to be honest with you. You know, they just think I'm just going to stay in my classroom and this is my lane and I don't, you know, I don't see me making change anywhere. But um, so I think that was, was really something. And I think um, as time went on and I got people to become involved politically, um, and making change in our own lives and in our own district. Those were things that I felt were really powerful because people didn't seem to think that was important. Um, and then, you know, uh, leading up to my, my election um, as the Vice President of Education Minnesota, there were nine of us out there uh, campaigning and, you know, that's a statewide election. So I had to have a lot of conversations with people all over the state, um, knowing that people have the faith in you uh, to lead and to do the work that's important. Um, is really something. And then, of course, no, I mean, I, I never guessed, and I tell people this all the time, one, I would have never guessed I'd become a teacher. I would have never guessed I'd lead, you know, uh, a federation of teachers. I would have never guessed I'd be the vice president of education. So, man, I, if you'd have told me this 10 years ago, I would have laughed at you that I'm leading the <laughs> Minnesota AFLC. But I couldn't be prouder, and I couldn't be more honored uh, to be a part of the movement and uh, using my voice as a woman. To lead, I think is amazing. And I love, like you, Robin, I love seeing more women in power. And again, you know, I mean, there are many great men who we work with. And so I'm not saying that, but it has certainly um, changed the tone of many things. And so I hope that we continue uh, to move forward together in all of that. Thank you. Um, okay, so I have another question for you here. Um, what was one predominant issue for the women's labor movement in history? That is still a prom predominant issue today. Bernie, did you want to start? Uh, 
Yeah, you know, I went back to the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire because those were all women and children and a few men that were working in those factories in that day. And obviously with the fire, they had no voice and they had no control over their working situation and safety and all of those things. And so uh, because of the fire, you know, there were uh, 123 women and girls and 23 men that were killed. And many of them were recent immigrants, right? So um, because of that, we have fire prevention legislation, we have factory um, inspection laws, and then a union was formed. Imagine that, the International Garment Workers Union. Um, ladies garment workers union i think today we still see a lot of those things happening right there are places where work uh, places are not safe and we have immigrants who are coming and who want jobs and there's wage theft uh, they're not getting paid the way they should be getting paid um, you know we still continue to talk about safety and, and as people uh, try to move away and leave unions behind working conditions don't improve right? And they get worse. People don't get a 40-hour work week. People don't get the benefits they should have. In this country today, no one should be living without those things. And when we, you know, point fingers at each other and say, how come they have that? They shouldn't. What we should be saying is, they have that. We all should have it, right? I mean, I, that's the bottom line for me. Um, our country should be able to take care of all of its children, should be able to take care of all of its workers and make sure that uh, workplaces are safe make sure that people have the benefits they need so they have good health care. I see too often and saw too often as a, a teacher when families um, and parents did not have a decent job, they couldn't, one, they couldn't afford to take up work so their kids were sent to school sick. That doesn't help anybody. Or because they couldn't take up work, maybe an oldest child, sometimes an elementary student, you know, fourth or fifth grade, was made to stay home and take care of the younger children um, so kids miss school. Uh, so those are things that the um, all of our people should have. And there should be, you know, I, I like to say that every student, no matter where they live, in the state of Minnesota for sure, and across this country, should have to live a life where they don't get a decent start in life. And they should, you know, before school, all of this should start right from birth. We should have things in place. And in some places there are, but it needs to be better. It needs to be supportive. And our legislators need to support those things. Our country has too much wealth for people to be living in situations that are not safe, where they don't have health care, and where their parents can't, you know, where their parents have to work two and three jobs. You know, that's not right. You can't work two and three jobs and, and be there for your babies as well. It's just too hard, and it's not right. So while we've come a long way, there are many places where we haven't come as far as we should. Thank you. Um, and Robin, what, what would you say uh, is one of the most predominant issues for women in the labor movement um, that is still a predominant issue today? You know, I look at um, and constantly the voting rights. You know, um, women, you know, we, they were, we weren't allowed to vote, first of all. Um, it took a long time for us to even get the right to vote. You know, I think about those women um, that gathered um, and when they gathered to get that right to vote and to make their voices heard, you know, I thought about, wow, how courageous, because here we were, you know, everyone able to go and vote with the exception of, you know, black people and women. Um, and so then I start thinking about how even today, you know, those rights are still being um 
not really trampled upon, but they're being challenged. Um, and they're being challenged for women as well. And, you know, women have a strong voice and they know that. And I think Bernie even just um, made a comment, you know, we're so much stronger together. And so they know, I mean, I even look at, you know, our, our vice president, I am sure that, you know, especially like the sisterhood of the sororities, because she's, you know, an AKA. Um, and I can just remember hearing some friends that I had that were in sororities, um, especially, you know, at the AKAs, and they were determined that their sisterhood was going to come together and help their sister to be elected, you know, as the first female um, in the second highest position in the United States. Um, so women really went out and voted. And now you look at how, you know, that's being challenged again. So it was a, you know, it was a challenge for us many years ago, just, you know, in the 1900s. So it's not like it was years, I mean, like hundreds of years ago. Um, and now it's still, it's still a challenge because I think that in many ways they know that women are going to get out and they're going to vote um, because we want change. Um Bernie made it so, I mean, it was just so profound what she said. There's no reason why, um, and my heart really goes out to teachers. And it's just ironic that Bernie is a teacher um, because I have a lot of uh, discussion with teachers at my granddaughter's school. And it really hurts me that they have to come out of their own pocket um, to buy supplies, um, to make sure that their classrooms are going. Um, they were expected to jump from being in a classroom to being virtual, you know, basically overnight, many of them without the tools that they even needed. Um, and that was an expectation of them. Um, and I was, you know, I was happy to see that the labor movement was out there trying to get, you know, gain some of that support. But, you know, they're lacking in pay. They're lacking in money to buy, be able to have the things they need for their necessary classrooms. They're lacking in the finances um, to even have really good health care. I mean, it, there's no reason why that should be happening. Then I look at the nurses. Mm -hmm. You know, we have many, you know, the nurses um, field is still predominantly women. Um, and they are so overworked and underpaid. You know, through this whole pandemic, I, it was really the nurses, you know, which were predominantly women that have kept things intact. You know, they have been the voices um, of families. They have been the, per the people that have sat there and held hands as people died. Um, and I think the labor movement has to get even more stronger and we have to really push that nurses and teachers, um, and there's other fields as well, but those two are probably the most dear to my heart, um, are being paid um, what they're worth. You know, we need to get payment for their worth and we have to do something with better benefits for them as well. So although the labor movement has been very strong in those areas for those two fields, we have so much more work to do, as Bernie said. You know, we've come a long way, but um, even watching through this pandemic, you can see that we still have a long way to go, especially to help those those particular two fields, as well as others, like I said. Thank you. I wanted to just kind of bounce off what you were saying with the teachers as well. I know um, another thing, you know, the teachers are also a lot of times the only interaction that the students get, especially when you're dealing with like single parent households where mom is working three different jobs. Mm -hmm. um, that might be the only interaction that a student sees during the day. And then on top of that, they have to deal with the increase in mm -hmm. violence um, and everything else that goes on as well. So thank you for all of your time uh, spent teaching as well, Bernie. Um, 
Yeah. Right. Can I add one thing on that, Miranda? Because you did bring out a good point. Um, not only your teachers, you know, having to teach in the classroom, but you know, you're right. In many ways, they're probably, you know, mother, father. You know, even as a as a woman, you know, they're carrying both of those roles for some students. Um, I'm sure we have kids that come to school that have not eaten. They're probably going and they're actually the bank for them, making mm -hmm. sure that they have food to eat. Um, I know my mother was um, a. Um, they're called parapros now, but at that time they were called teacher's aides um, for almost 40 years. And, you know, I can remember her buying extra clothes, um, hair ties, um, hair bows, uh, just different things. And I can remember when she passed away, there were some students that she had in school um, that actually came to her service. And when they got up and talked, they talked about, and then they had even some parents that came and they said, you know, Miss Nichols did our children's hair. She made sure they had food. She made sure they had clean clothes, you know, and that was, you know, in the seventies and eighties and the nineties when my mother did that. So I can only imagine what teachers are doing now, but that's one of the things that, you know, our teachers are doing and we have to, as a labor movement, we have to stand behind our teachers and we have to get them the resources and things they need. And it, Lastly, the thing that I think we need to also help them with, you know, I think that we even need to help them with um, mm -hmm. mental health because teachers see and hear a lot of things that no other profession sees and hears. And then they carry that home even to their own families. So I think that we even have to work at pushing better mental health um, resources for our teachers as well. And Bernie, I also want to thank you for your many years of teaching. Well, thanks for that. And Robin, would you like to come and testify in front of the legislature? Because we could do the whole I will. <laughs> just call I, me. <laughs> I wanted to just bring up one more thing real quick on that, because um, you touched on the food, Robin, and I think that was so important. One of the things that they did here in Minnesota, um, I'm not sure if they did it across the nation or if it was just here in the metro, but this summer um, and during COVID, the teachers actually delivered food to all the kids door to door to their homes. Um, to make sure that kids had enough food during um, long distance learning and things like that. So that was really cool as well. And I'm not sure if everyone is aware of that. Um, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Uh, actually, most of the time, those were paraprofessionals, like your mother was, Robin. So mm -hmm. Those are the folks who don't get paid enough and who are working two and three jobs, mm -hmm. yet they were on the front lines every day throughout the pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. And they're often, you know, told that, their job wasn't supposed to ever be a full-time job, which is ridiculous. That's an insult, right? I mean, because they want to be there. That's why they choose the work they do. Thank you. Right. Okay, so, Bernie, I think we're going to start with you. Is that the – I think we're on you. <laughs> um, what stories from labor history are important for women to keep telling? I know that you've kind of highlighted on a lot today already, um, but I'm just wondering if there's anything additional that you, you would like to add. Well, I think, you know, some of the things that Robin touched on, the, the fact that uh, many of um, the jobs that are, are held by women are jobs that are not um, as well paid. Um, when I think of people in healthcare not getting great benefits, it just boggles my mind. They work in healthcare and yet they don't have the best benefits, you know. I mean, I know uh, educators around the state who are actually paying their districts so that they can have their benefits and they often don't see much of a paycheck. You know, so those are things that we have to keep fighting for. And women, especially in the in the places that they work, 
Um, you know, we know that women start at less pay. We know that as we see, you know, different folks get hired. If we see a woman get hired, she gets a certain rate. And then if a man gets hired for the same job, they get more money. That's wrong. It's the same job. There's no reason there should be a different uh, differentiation in pay in that regard. And that people need to know uh, about their, their voting rights too. I mean, they are voting in different places because of the strength of, of you know, folks uh, in leadership who want to change those, the laws so that uh, people don't have their voting rights. We've got too long for those things to happen. Women and our people of color as well. Um, we need their voices, right? And so we have to keep fighting for those. Um, when you think of just historically, again, how, how women have been treated less than, um, and then that goes into, again, people of color. All of those things have to be changed, and we have to continually raise our voices and be loud and strong and, and not step back and not take a back seat and make sure that, uh, you know, even if you're, what was that quote, even with my voice is shaking, I still, you know, can talk and, and raise my voice, and you have to do those kind of things. Um, I finally got no place where my voice doesn't shake very often, but <laughs> there are times, depending on the passion that's there, you know. Uh, yeah, I think people, I, you know, and oftentimes when we talk about unionism, uh, people say they don't want to hear the history, but you've got to have the history so people understand what we didn't have and what we could lose real easily. Um, and we've seen that happen right across the country as uh, right to work laws have come into play in many states where there were strong union um, affiliations in the past, and a lot of that has gone by the wayside. That's not okay. So until we, um, you know, until people understand, one, what it was like, and you don't have to go on and on, but you just have to highlight a few things for people to understand that life was pretty bad, you know, and until unions came along and made it better, and yet again, unions didn't always do it for all people either. So that also has to play into that. You know, um, there's been a lot of systemic racism throughout history. Those are things that need to change, uh, things that we need to work on. But I think um, we're in a place today, now more than ever, where uh, we can continue the fight and, and keep telling women, especially, I think you're right, Robin, uh, our younger women need to see that there is a road for them and a path for them. Um, I tell people that all the time, look, I was a mom. And I loved it. And I had no interest in going to work. <laughs> and somebody said, you should become a teacher. And I said, hmm, okay. You know, and along the way, there have been many people who have said to me, you should do this. And I've, you know, taken them for their word. And, and, and I love the work. So it doesn't, it's not too hard a step to step into it. Um, but I think, uh, you know, people need to know, women need to know that they can be heard and that they are strong and stronger together. And, uh, you just got to look not too far back, right? My story is always, when I was in fourth grade in 1968, civil rights movement was just kind of coming to, you know, an end. And then we lost some great leaders. We lost Martin Luther King Jr. We lost Bobby Kennedy and all the people who were at that time doing what was right for folks. And at that time in fourth grade, I thought, oh, life is better for, for many people. And then as time went on, you as you grow into being, you know, a young adult and adult, you see that it is not good for everybody. And that people are treated differently because of the color of their skin or because they're a woman. So those are things that we need to continue to fight for and we need to continue to educate about and we need to continue to have conversations about. You know, there's so many things that if you just sit down with someone and have a one-to-one -one conversation, you can change the world that way, I think. 
Thank you for highlighting that. Um, I believe one-to-one -one conversations are very important as well. Yeah. Robin, did mm -hmm. you want to share, um, yeah. you've, you've touched on quite a few things today as well, but uh, would you like to share as well some additional stories from the labor history that are important for women to keep telling? Um, I think one of the things that's really important, it might, might not be necessarily from, you know, the labor movement, but um, Bernie's touched on so many different um, things that are really important. I think the main thing is that we have to teach our young women um, and our young girls um, not to settle. You know, don't, don't settle. Um, I did some research um, for another speech that I did, and I want to kind of hit on that. Um, so I was looking at the military. And, you know, we have a lot more women that are going into the military. However, those women in the military are not always in leadership positions. And one of the things that really um, kind of stood out for me is, and I'm going to just kind of read this to you. Um, it says that, you know, historically women served in less meaningful positions. Um, women in leadership was virtually unheard of, and we were not recognized for their accomplishments. You know, now women take on more vital roles in military leadership, serving as leaders, officers and non-commissioned officers standing with our troops. In 1988, less than 4% of those in three senior enlisted pay grades, the E7 to the E9, were women. But as of February 2018, that percentage has risen, um, and it's 11.8% in the Army, 20.8% in the Air Force, 11.6% in the Navy, 5.6% in the Marine Corps, and then in the Coast Guard, it's 8.7%. And there's also, you know, similar trends, you know, with senior officers. But that still, you know, is low, um, in my opinion. So we have to, and even as, you know, in labor movement, we have to continue to educate our young ladies as they're coming out of school. Um, many times, you know, you have teachers or parents or, you know, other people that are telling them, you know, you sh oh, you should go to school to do this because this is what girls do. Or, you know, this is what, no, you can do anything you want to do. That's what I even tell my granddaughter. I don't care what, you can do anything you want to do. If you want to go and be a welder, be a welder. If you want to be in construction, be in construction. You know, there's money there. And our, our women are not getting some of that money because we're telling them that they have to go into fields that are, I would just, I guess, say more feminine. Um, but that's how it used to be. Um, we don't have to do that anymore. And it's time for the labor movement to, to kind of push that a little bit more. And then lastly, I look, um, I, when I was doing that research, I was looking at even Congress. And I want to just give you a few um, stats Robin. that I found there. Robin, so can I um, just interrupt you real uh -huh. quick? I was wondering if you were able to cite the sources that you're reading mm -hmm. so that way our listeners can go back and look them up afterwards if they would like. Um, I don't have it cited here. It's in another file. Um, but all I did is I just Googled women in the military. Um, and when I Googled women in the military, all of those stats oh, came up for me. Um, so that's one thing that you can always do, just Google women in the military. Um, and I am sorry that I don't have the exact um, site that I looked at, but I'll see if I can find it before we get off of here and be able to give that. Um, and I did the same thing with Congress. I looked at our 117th Congress. Um, and so, of course, they'll be serving from 2021 to 2023. And, you know, there's, okay, um, out of 100 Senate seats, only 24 are held by women. 
um, out of 435 in the House, 121 are held by women. So again, you know, we're changing, you know, we're changing um, the, I guess you could say the, the color of things in America when it comes to women in positions, but we still have a, a long way to go. Um, we should not, we should be at least 50%. You know, when you're looking at 24 seats held by, you know, out of 100 seats, you know, you're, that's a quarter of the seats. We will have a stronger voice. You know, so the labor movement has to push women um, again. You know, I, I can't uh, say enough how it's just so inspiring to see Bernie sitting in the in the seat, this position that she's in, because I'm sure that, you know, it's always been a seat probably that was occupied by men. And then when you start looking at different states as well, you're really going to have more of those seats in Congress and um, in the AFL-CIO and in different labor um, organizations and things. A lot of those states, those positions are going to be held by predominantly by men as well, because men usually predominant, you know, are predominant in those states and, and in those different cities. So um, we've just got to do something as a labor movement, start encouraging women um, and young ladies and young girls that are in school to come out and just do something different, you know, change from what the norm has been. Um, you can be anything you want to be. And so why not do it? You know, if you can do anything now, you know, you don't have all these limitations, then just do it. Um, and so I, I like it. Nike says, just do it. So go out there and, and do whatever you can do. And as a laborist, you know, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to try to push as much as I can. So Thank you for that. Okay, so we are going to head into our wrap-up here mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, and so with that, I want to give you both, we still have a little bit of time left, so I want to give you both the opportunity to just kind of freely speak. Um, so Robin, if there is any additional, anything extra that you wanted to say as some final remarks um, before we close out today? Um, I, th I think that the biggest thing that I would say is, again, you know, let's just be all that we can be. Your history does not have to be um, what defines your, your future. Um, maybe you came from a family that um, did not, that wasn't very highly educated. Um, maybe women didn't do as many things um, in the work field. Um, and so you're, you know, wondering, can I do it? Um, I think the biggest thing is push yourself, you know, just push your way through and, you know, make her story, you know, it's your story. So make it, um, you don't have to look in the history books to find someone that is um, famous because you can be that person yourself. You don't necessarily have to be on a platform um, and a national platform to make a, a change or a difference, make that change in your neighborhood, um, get on seats in the school, on the school board um, and your city council, be that voice. You know, as I said earlier, you know, I saw how things were and I didn't like it. So I quit. But then I came back because I said the only way that I can make things look different is I've got to get involved to make that change. So don't quit. Don't give up. You know, you might get discouraged. Um, you might go down, but you don't stay down. Come back up and, you know, continue to push forward. Get a mentor, you know, find someone that um, maybe has uh, is doing some of the things that you aspire to do. And if, if so, you know, find a mentor to do that. You know, I've had various different mentors in my life. Um, I would say probably my mother is my was my biggest because um, I watched her, you know, as a, a divorcee, you know, raising the six of us herself, um, working 
Um, but she still was, you know, everything. She was everything to us. She was at all of our activities. She was PTA president. You know, she was involved with the schools. She was making sure that we were getting the education that we needed in addition to working. So she was probably like my my lead inspiration, you know, and then I look at my pastor. Um, she's another big inspiration, you know, to me. So I look at different women that I see in leadership um, and I try to um, emulate um, myself or some of my actions after them. Uh, we've even had a couple of uh, very successful women at the building that I work at. And I look at them and I think, wow, if they could do it, I can do it too. So I think that's the biggest thing is you have to you know, say to yourself, if so-and-so did it, I can do it as well. And I can do it even better. You know, as I started out by saying how Miss Augusta was such an inspiration to all of us, you know, and she was an inspiration to me. Um, and I may not, like I said, be able to do some of the great things that she did on certain platforms, but I can take some of the things that she did and I can do them locally in my own you know, city here. Um, and I can make those same changes and still have the same impacts that she had. So never give up. We, we are strong women. We have strong voices um, and we have to make our voices heard. That's Thank you like very much. Thank Bernie, you. did you want to add anything for final remarks as well? I don't know if I could top that, Robin. You said a lot there. That was good. But, you know, I'm going to start with where you talked about your mother. I'm going to talk about my mother, too. She was an Irish immigrant and, and came to this country, and my parents didn't have very much, you know, when we were kids. But they always, uh, a number of things, they always taught us to look out for each other, first of all, my brother and I, and then they taught us to stand up for other people whose voices were being heard. So we both had that in us from, from the get-go. Um, uh, my mother uh, was a stay-at-home mom for a while, but um, wanted to go home to Ireland, and so she went to work so she could have money so we could go. Um, and that was that was a thing, you know. She was a union member. We didn't hear much about it though, because my dad was a chef in a private club, so that, that wasn't a conversation home. Yet uh, <laughs> they both just believed so strongly in helping other people um, that that's kind of where my core is at. And she, you know, was a good role model for me. Uh, made her way in the world and, and uh, really taught us and our children uh, that you have to be accepting of all people and you have to meet them where they're at. And you don't get to just pretend, but you need to make sure if you say it, then you got to do it, right? You can't um, say something and not mean it. And I, I agree with you. Don't ever give up. I mean, take that crack wherever it's offered to you and open it and it, it'll keep opening wider. You know, we start, uh, like I said, start in the playground in my in my kids school you know and then eventually started out of door room and worked with pta and all those things all of those things were stepping stones for me so i think looking to strong women leaders um and being a good role model for others as well i think that's really important i've always tried um to get younger um, educators to step up to, to leadership roles um and i i think that's true everywhere i think in in our unions as well it's important that we are always raising the next group of leaders, right? That's important to me. And um, women need to know they can do it, right? It's always been fairly easy for men, uh, but and women have often been quiet and demure. Don't do that. You don't have to yell either, right? I mean, you got to find that happy right. medium. And you, because people aren't going to listen to you if you're screaming at them. But if you sit down again, like I said, and have that conversation and be open to listening to uh, don't always have to agree on everything. You don't have to have all the answers, but every little step will get you a little bit more along the way. And uh, I'm hopeful. 
truly. I mean, I look at our youth and, and the voices that they're raising and the things that they're doing makes me very hopeful. What I really want to see is good, uh, sustainable, well-paying jobs so people don't have to work as hard. People have to work hard, don't get me wrong. But I don't want people working two and three jobs. I want them to be able to have time with their families and their children. Um, you can't bring kids into this world and, and not have the time for them. That's just, you know, I I listen to people. Used to listen to people complain about kids in school, but you didn't know their story, right? You didn't know that, like, their mom was already gone when they left for school, right? Or their mom wasn't going to be home when they came home in the evening. Or their dad wasn't there. Or you, I can't tell you. It was so interesting to me, you know, we... Always uh, had a responsive classroom. Classroom, so we started with a morning meeting, and uh, the first time kids told me that they had a family member in prison blew me away. I didn't know that life, right? That wasn't the way mm -hmm. I was raised. And so, knowing that a kid comes to school and they don't even have someone in the home because they're, and it wasn't just one. That was the other part that always got to me. Um, so you, you have to understand, you know, what everybody's going through. Uh, people have great days, and people have pretty crummy days sometimes. So you got to meet them where they're at. But I think, again, take that little crack, step your foot across that line and keep going, you know, don't, and don't ever give up. I agree with you, Robin, a hundred percent. And I think Miranda, you probably feel the same way too, because already in the short time that I've known you, you're already working your way to leadership and that's awesome and amazing. So um, we'll just keep going and moving forward and um, working to make life better. Thank you for that. Um, and I just wanted to say thank you to both of you um, today for giving us the opportunity or myself the opportunity to be able to host this podcast with you. Um, I can see that you're both very compassionate and passionate in the work that you're doing. Um, and I really look forward to working with both of you in the future um, and learning more and developing more as well. So that way I too can be a very influential leader later on. So with that, in closing, I just want to say again, thank you to our guests. Um, today, we were able to speak with Robin Nichols uh, from the National Women's Advisory Coordinator for District 7 and Bernie Burnham, uh, the Minnesota State AFL-CIO President. Um, and thank you to all of our listeners for listening to the AFGE Young Podcast today. New episodes are made available every two weeks and are streamed anywhere you listen to your podcasts at. This podcast is a production of the AFGE National Young Committee, Bug Bridging Union Gaps Initiative. To learn more about the AFGE Young Program, visit our website at www.afge.org young or our Facebook page by searching at young AFGE.